Good morning to all of you. That was an excellent song we just sung. Has the life of Jesus really made a difference in your life? In such a way that men would say of you, they're little Christs. That's what they said at Antioch, didn't they? The lives of those individuals at the Antioch were so changed that people said, they're just like those little Christs. I indeed covet that kind of reputation that men might know that my life has been changed by Christ. Amen. Well, I'm here again to talk about some things that I know to be true, some things that I know that I have experienced and know to be true, and some things I'd like to become more perfect at. Things that I haven't mastered. Things that I wish I could do better. Wish I could be more like Christ than what I am. To talk about something I am intensely interested in. Something that I desire above all else. Something I want to be a part of. Things that I struggle to comprehend. Things that I don't know entirely how it all fits together. But but I believe it's true. Okay? So this morning I'm going to talk about... Well, you guessed it already, right? I don't need to write it on the board. The kingdom of heaven. We've got to talk about the kingdom of heaven again. Now, some people say that I, that's kind of my hobby horse. And, uh, it comes out of everything that I, every message that I preach. And, uh, well, I just want to thank you for that compliment. I can only wish that it was more so. More so. Because it's the best thing that happened to this world ever since sliced bread. And, well, yeah, it even beats sliced bread, doesn't it? And I'd like to say, I by no means am the first person who made this topic central theme in his life. And I hope I'm not the last. Okay? Because it is the central theme for Christianity. It's the central theme for every Christian to have the kingdom of heaven inside. Inside. In such a way that it changes us and makes us totally different than what we've ever been before. Well, the Old Testament prophets talked about it. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Zechariah, and others. And... uh, Then there was a period of silence for a little while and we had no open interpretation and 
And then came John the Baptist. I'd like to remind you that John the Baptist was just soaked with this idea of the kingdom of heaven. He went out there and he passionately declared that the kingdom of heaven was at hand and that everyone everywhere needed to repent and get ready for Jesus. Well, he didn't call him Jesus. He said, get ready, Messiah is coming. Uh, somehow or other, not everybody liked that. You know, the Pharisees got upset pretty quick about that. True to their nature, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, they soon sent out messengers to John the Baptist and they said, why are you doing this? What, what's, the, what's your deal? I mean, do you think you're the Messiah? And John said, no, absolutely not. I'm not, a, I'm not the Messiah, but uh, I can tell you that Messiah is coming. And when Messiah comes, he's going to be so holy that I don't even deserve to tie his shoes. And therefore, you need to repent. Yeah, John didn't miss a beat. Yeah, a little bit of resistance didn't stop John. And he declared the glory of God was going to come. Well, not everybody understood how to do that. So they said, uh, well, John, uh, what should we do? I mean, how? We are pretty good. You know, we, we, we go to the synagogue, we offer the sacrifices, we, we do the things we should. Uh, what are we supposed to do to get ready for the kingdom of God? You say that we've we got to repent. What, what, what are you talking about? Do you remember what John's answer was? It's kind of a striking answer. He said, well, if you have more than one set of clothes, share. I wonder how many of you have more than one set of clothes? <laughs> okay, so if you have more than one set of clothes, you ought to be sharing. That's a pretty simple idea. Now that's, by the way, something very interesting to be said by a fellow who was himself didn't know how to dress. I mean, John wore camel's hair, equivalent to burlap bags, and leather. Not, not fancy leather. This was just rawhide, probably, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, and he ate bugs for breakfast. He's a pretty homespun fella. You know, rather different. Well, the publicans said, came to him and they said, well, well, what do you think we should do? He said, don't charge any more than what the government asked you to collect. Uh, that's a big deal for publicans, isn't it? The soldiers came. And they said, well, what do you think we should do? And he said to them, well, don't be violent to anyone. Soldier, (laughs) 
what kind of soldier is this? Don't be violent with anyone. Don't accuse anybody falsely. And be content with your pay. And that was it. That was hardly a balanced theology, was it? Not hardly. But you see, here's the thing. When you start to obey what you know you should do, when you do what you ought to do, then your life begins to change. And it changes and changes and changes. People came out to hear John by the droves. I, I guess they, like I was saying, I guess that sort of stole the thunder of the scribes and Pharisees, maybe, or something, and they didn't like it. Or perhaps they were afraid. Afraid of the Romans. You know, if this thing that John's got going and everybody's coming out to see John by the droves, and, and he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. What happens when the Romans hear that? Now, the Romans aren't very friendly with new kingdoms. And there just could be a massacre. You know, so maybe we better tone this John down a little bit. So ask him or we'll. You know, are you the Messiah? I already covered that one. He said, no, I'm not the Messiah. Well, then he said, well, then who are you? Are you, are you Isaiah? That would be the next maybe possibility or something. Are you Isaiah? And John said, nope, nope, not at all. Well, then they said, well, well, who are you? What, what authority do you have to do this? He said, I'm just a voice. Crying in the wilderness. The message I have is, get ready for Messiah. (laughs) You know, John the Baptist didn't even go to the temple to bring this message. I didn't even go to the synagogue to bring this message. He just went out in the wilderness. And people went out to see him. Why did they do that? Why did people go out to the wilderness to hear this person talking about a kingdom to come? Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees one day in relation to John, he said, what went you out for to see out there in the wilderness? Did you go out there to see the weeds blowing in the wind? Go out there to have a nice little walk in the, in nature? Is that why you went out to the wilderness? No. No, you didn't go out to the wilderness for that. I know you didn't. Well, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? You know what you went out for the wilderness to see? You went out to see a man who had something to say from God. That's what you went out to the wilderness to see. You went out to see a man who was burning with passion for the kingdom of God was going to come. 
That's what you went out to see. Now, Jesus said, if you had believed him, he implied some of this. didn't say it all, but he implied it. If you had believed him, you would have been ready for me. But you didn't. So you're not ready for me either. You're asking me who I am same way as you ask him. Because you didn't let the opportunity enter into your heart. I wonder how many people miss the opportunities that God presents to them. I wonder sometimes if we miss opportunities that God presents to us. The things that he calls us unto himself. And we miss them. Because, because why? Because they cut across our grain a little too close. Because, because perhaps we've never done it that way. You know, this kingdom of heaven was so different than everything that they were used to before. This kingdom of heaven that Jesus talked about and what John said, you know, I don't know, I'm just supposing here that, you know, when John told all the people that, that if they had more than one set of clothes they were supposed to share, I'm supposing they sort of shook their heads and said, well, I can't do that. I'm sort of supposing that the soldiers went away and said, we're not supposed to do violence to anybody. I don't know how you'd be a soldier like that. Uh, I know. Maybe John's just ranting here a little bit. Um, And so they missed their opportunity. But John said, Messiah is coming. And he burned passionately with that message. He said, and his fan is in his hand and he's going to thoroughly purge his threshing floor. He's going to divide between the righteous and the unrighteous. His fan is already in his hand and, yeah, judgment is coming. And many other such things, you know. He told Herod, you're living in adultery. You can't do that. It's not right. Yeah, you know what? He lost his head for that. Didn't go down like silk either, did it? John the Baptist Declared righteousness no matter who would hear it or not hear it. But it got him into prison. And it got him beheaded. Well. Friends, that's part of the kingdom of heaven. It's the way it is. just happens. You can expect some of that today. I have a lot of. In my ancestry. Who died. Burned at the stake, beheaded, all manner of things, because they believed. Because they preached. Because they would not stop for anyone. They had a passion for the kingdom. Would to God we have more people like that today. 
Okay, well, that was John the Baptist. Soon Jesus came. As soon as John the Baptist got put in prison, then Jesus started to manifest himself. And he went throughout all of Galilee and Decapolis and Judea. And what did he talk about? That's right. Kingdom of heaven. Every message was filled with it. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a field. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man that had a vineyard. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like this and like that and like the next thing. It seemed that everything that he said was saturated with the kingdom of heaven. It came out in his prayers. One day the disciples were watching him pray and they said, would you teach us how to do that? And so Jesus said, sure. When you want to pray, you should start with our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. You see the kingdom again. This kingdom was on his mind all the time. Thy kingdom, God's kingdom, come to this earth. And thy will, the way it's done in heaven, should be done here on earth. Now that would be heaven on earth, right? Yeah. Uh, That's the way it's supposed to be. Far too many times it ain't. But it's supposed to be. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Yes, and give us this day our daily bread. Recognize that all things come from him. Oh, and forgive us our debts the way we forgive our debtors. That's a little tongue-in-cheek, isn't it? More on that later. And, let me see. Lost my place here. Maybe I shouldn't go there yet. Anyway, I'll back up a little bit. He was interested in the kingdom the whole way through. He sent his disciples out two by two. What did his disciples talk about? The kingdom of heaven, right? He sent them ahead of him into every city. And he said, you go out and you tell them, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is coming to town. It was their hobby horse too. By the way, it didn't stop with that. After Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, It was the way the apostles did. The apostles went everywhere. Declaring the kingdom of heaven. 
They went everywhere declaring that Messiah had come and you crucified him. You put him to death and he has risen from the dead. He is alive and he lives within the hearts of men. And guess what? That didn't go down too well either. Cross grain all the way with his Pharisees. They said, they said, you can't do this. We forbid you to talk about this Jesus. You cut it out. No more talking about Jesus and his kingdom. Stop it. (laughs) What did the disciples do? What did the apostles do? They said, well, let me ask you, what's more important, that we should obey you or God? I mean, I'd like to obey you, but we have to obey God. He's greater than you. So, we can't help it. We know We're going to tell. And they just went right on, never missing a beat, and could not be stopped by any criticism anywhere. And some of them died for that. Stephen was stoned for that. It happens. Part of the kingdom. They went into all kinds of cities. Paul traveled. Paul was beaten many times with rods. Folks, you don't know what that feels like. I don't think any of you ever got beaten like that. But they so opposed Paul and his message that they'd take him and they would beat him with 39 stripes. You know why not 40? Because there was a law that said if you beat a man with 40 stripes, you can never beat him again. So they make sure they don't overdo it. But they whack him with a good hard rod, you know, 39 times across his back. Uh, What do you think his back looked like when he was done with that? Black and blue, right? Black and blue. That'll stop him, right? That'll stop him from doing that kind of thing. No, it won't. No, it won't. Because these men have something inside of them that just won't stop. And you know what? They get up from that beating or sometimes they were stoned. You know, one time Paul was stoned and they thought he was dead and they all walked off and he roused himself and rolled the stones off and Went back to preaching. Now, the apostles, they got their share of resistance too, you know. They really did. Wouldn't stop for anything because they had the message of God within their hearts. They had something driving them. A passion for the kingdom. Uh, 
not sure if we have that kind of thing here anymore. We, we get stopped pretty easy, don't we? Uh, I was also going to say, you know, when they got stoned and beaten and things like that, they thought it was a privilege. They said, you know, I'm just so glad that we're worthy to suffer a little bit. After all that Jesus suffered for us, uh, this sort of authenticates the fact that we're part of the kingdom. And I'm glad we had the opportunity to get beaten like that. How many of you think you'd be there? You think you'd be rejoicing about being beaten up like that? I don't know. I, I, I haven't been tested in that area. <clears throat> All right. So this kingdom is just the most wonderful thing. But I think it escapes us sometimes. We have to look a little closer. You know, at least sometimes I think, well, what is it? What is this kingdom of heaven that Jesus talked about and, and the apostles shared and everything? And, and let me give you a little hint. You know, when Jesus went throughout all Judea and Galilee and Decapolis and everywhere and he was preaching the kingdom of heaven, he was not preaching about Calvary. They didn't know about Calvary. That doesn't mean Calvary isn't important. Calvary is a central part of our forgiveness. But the kingdom of heaven means more than that. And there is a lot of people today that seem to seem to think that it that Christianity is is coming to Jesus and and Jesus forgives all your sins and and then you're on your way to glory. Hallelujah. No, no, no. The kingdom of heaven goes a lot deeper than that. A lot deeper than that. Okay? And Jesus had a lot to say for many years before Calvary came. What was those things? What did he talk about? Well, we know some of the things. We can see the Sermon on the Mount and things like that. And I thought that was neat this morning when we had to some of that sermon that I quoted by even little children here this morning. Bless you for doing that. But if you stop to think about what Jesus actually said there on the Sermon on the Mount and what he actually meant when he said things like, Blessed are the meek. Uh, do you know what meek means? Okay, meek means that you can just take things and not get offended. Just soak up bad stuff. When somebody treats you wrong, it just rolls off like water off a duck's back. You just soak it up. Blessed are the meek that can do that. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
Uh, you don't consider yourself blessed when you're being persecuted, do you? Usually we don't. That's the kingdom of heaven. All right. We're going to zoom in a little more here. I have one area to talk about this morning about the kingdom of heaven. And I'm not going to talk about everything in the kingdom of heaven. It's just too big a subject. I can't cover everything. And I'm going to say right now that I'm not going to be entirely balanced. Okay. There's a lot more to be said than I can ever get said this morning. But I'd like to zoom in on at least one area of the kingdom of heaven that I think is really, really, really important, according to Jesus. Okay? It's one of those areas that don't make sense to us until we have experienced it. And then even after we've experienced it, we've got to grow and grow and grow and grow in it. So here we go. This one area that I'd like to talk about this morning starts with the idea of how righteousness is maintained. Now, prior to what Jesus said, everyone knew how righteousness was maintained. Every sin and every injustice needed to be punished with a Punishment that was equally severe to the offense. Okay? If you stole a sheep, you had to give the sheep back plus one more. Okay? You don't get rich very fast that way. Okay? If you hurt somebody, knocked his eye out or something, well, you had to pay for that with your eye. No, no, that'll make you careful, right? You make sure you don't hurt anybody because the way you hurt them is the way you're going to be hurt. If you knock somebody's tooth out, well, we'll just lay you down on the floor and knock your tooth out. Pay for his tooth with your tooth. That was the law. Everybody knew that's how you maintain righteousness. You make an example of believer of the of the uh, you you make an example of the offender, and you make it clear that it doesn't pay to do evil. Make it really tough for those evildoers, and that will preserve righteousness. Right? That was the law. That was the law. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And a life for a life. If you accidentally killed somebody, you needed to be killed under the law. With one exception. I like the exception. The one exception is that if you ran like everything and made it to the city of refuge before your avenger caught up with you, and you got to the city of refuge, then you could have a a fair trial. And they would check out to see why this man died, whether it was really an accident or not. If if you didn't like the guy and you had a, a, a quarrel with him before, you might fail the, the judgment and then you would be killed. 
But if, in fact, it was actually an accident and you really didn't have any malice toward this fellow and you accidentally killed him, well, then, if that was an accident, then we would not kill you. But you still have to pay for that. You still have to stay in the city of refuge for the rest of your life until the high priest died. Okay? Uh, do you see the type here? It's an interesting type. It's a type of Christ. If you killed somebody, you're responsible for his life. And we won't kill you if you're in the city of refuge. But you'll be responsible for that death until atoned for by the high priest, Jesus Christ. When the high priest dies, then you can go free. Isn't that a beautiful type of Christ? But you know what? That could take the rest of your life. If the high priest was younger than you, you might be in the city of refuge until you die. You might never get to see your freedom, even if it was an accident. Well, that was the law. It was the law. And everybody knew it. Everybody knew it. The rabbis all taught it. The history books all said so. That was the way it was done. Until the kingdom of heaven. Folks, do you realize what a change the kingdom of heaven makes? What an awesome difference this is that the kingdom of heaven is here. Jesus came along and he had the audacity to say that he went against all of this history, all of this law, everything all the rabbis ever said. He cut across all of that grain and he said, I'm here to tell you a better way. I'm going to show you how to do righteousness in a very different way. Okay? I want you, you've heard, it's all been said. Okay? Love is for your friends. Hatred is for the evildoer and for your enemies. Right? But now I'm going to give you something new. Something very different. I want you to love everyone. Even your enemies. Well, uh, how does that work? How's that going to work? Yeah, I want you to love your enemies. I, I I want you to love the people who take advantage of you. I want you to love that Roman soldier that comes along and says, Hey, buddy, you're going to carry my pack for a mile. And you had to carry his pack or you'd be in big trouble. Whether you wanted to or not, you had to drop whatever you're doing. Carry that pack for a mile just because a Roman soldier said you had to do so. Well, Jesus said, I want you to beat that. 
you carry the pack for a mile, and when you're done, carry it another mile for free. Just bless him. I know he took advantage of you. So what? Give him another mile just to be nice to him. Mm. That goes down a little crooked, right? Now, if somebody sues you and, and they, they sue, the, sue the coat right off your back. By the way, that's not easy. I've had some personal experience with that. Not easy to be under a lawsuit. You lay awake at night. It's tough. But Jesus said, just give them what they want and then add a little. Add to that. That's tough. Jesus said, if somebody whacks you, you know, gives you, oh no, I'll knock this thing off for next. Gives you a whack in the face. Let him do it again. Don't fight back. Don't fight back. Let him hit you again. I want you to love even your enemies. I want you to pray for them. Now, by the way, that's not praying like David prayed for his enemies. Remember? David would pray for his enemies that God would, would smite them. God would grind them to powder. You know, David prayed some revengeful prayers. That's not what Jesus was saying here. Jesus was saying, I want you to pray blessings down on those people who are your enemies. Very different. In other words, just soak up evil. Jesus said, I don't want you to return evil for evil. Now, if you were a scribe, you could challenge that doctrine because that's not what the Bible said. The Bible says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You see, Jesus came and changed the law. Yeah, well, he said, don't return evil for evil. Don't do that. But I want you to be proactive And instead of returning evil, I want you to return good to them. In other words, reward them for being nasty to you. Uh, Well, how's that going to work? I mean, isn't that going to make everybody just laugh and take advantage of you wholesale? That's what we would say, right? No, I want you to do that, Jesus said. And we wonder how that's going to work. 
I'm going to borrow a line from my dear friend, Dean Taylor. I think most of you know Dean Taylor. Perhaps you know that Dean Taylor didn't come from a Mennonite background. Didn't come from anywhere very religious. Dean Taylor was in the armed forces when he got to reading his Bible. When he got to reading what Jesus said, and he scratched his head and he said, what if Jesus really meant what he said? He has said that several times since. What if Jesus really meant what he said? What if Jesus really meant for us to live this way? It's hard, isn't it? I can tell you that Dean Taylor began to take steps in that direction. And he needed to leave the armed forces with a dishonorable uh, leave because he believed that Jesus meant what he said. Today, he is among people who believe in non-resistance. A soldier become non-resistant because he had been with Jesus. I like that. All right. Uh, You know, I I mentioned this about uh, Jesus brought this kingdom into his prayer and everything. And I said, I'd like to go a little bit further on that. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Did you ever stop to think about that? That would be called dependent forgiveness. Do you believe in dependent forgiveness? Do you believe that Jesus would forgive you based on the way you forgive? Well, it's not just this Lord's Prayer that mentions that. Jesus said, With what measure ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. And he said it in context, in context with forgiving others. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Okay, And the way you live is the way you're going to be treated. Did Jesus really mean that? You know, that could get all of us in trouble. Right? That could get us all into trouble. All right, I'd like you to go to Matthew 18. 
Now, everybody knows what Matthew 18 is about, right? Right? Matthew 18 is about the uh, scriptural way to prosecute an evildoer. Is that right? Well, no, that's not right. But there is a lot of people that think that. And there's a lot, I mean, by far, the most often that I hear Matthew 18 being referenced, although they wouldn't quite put it in those terms, that's really why it comes out. You have a method to deal with people who are wrong. Okay? People who sin against you in some way, or trespass against you, or in some way do something that they shouldn't be doing, there's a method to deal with that. It's in Matthew 18, right? Okay? Three strikes and you're out. First, you go talk to them yourself. If that don't work, take a couple other people with you. If that doesn't work, you tell the church. If that doesn't work, you're done. Right? Wrong. I might like that. I do believe that Matthew 18 gives us three steps of appeal, but not of prosecution. I do believe that it's right to go and talk to a person who has offended you alone. If that doesn't work to take two or more, if that doesn't work, the whole church could become involved with it. But this is not about prosecuting. And it is not about dealing with a person and kicking him out if he doesn't listen on you. Read more. Okay? Perhaps it will shock you to know that the first 14 verses of Matthew 18 are about how important and how precious every single person is. Every single person is precious in God's sight, even the children and even the lost. They are precious in God's sight. And you shouldn't be offending any one of them. If you offend any one of them, it would be better for a millstone to be hanged around your neck and you'd be drowned in the depth of the sea. Rough. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. He cares about every individual, bar none. Every individual is important. See, that started because they were, in the first verse, they were looking about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Well, everyone is great in the kingdom of heaven, according to Jesus. Okay, and then, then in the middle of the chapter, we have four little verses that detail how you could give a scriptural appeal. Those are the verses we know the best. But we use them like prosecution instead of like appeal. And then that's followed with three little verses that are a little hard to understand 
And I'm not going to go into explaining them real far today because, uh, well, that'll take you a little time to work through. But if you understand that those next three verses have to do with if the appeal fails, you have you still have the opportunity to forgive them. You still have the opportunity to forgive them. I mean, if two of you agree concerning anything and you ask the Lord to forgive him, he's going to forgive him. Okay? I mean, you can, you can just say, like Stephen said when they were stoning him to death, Father, don't lay this sin to their charge. And Father will hear that. You can be like Jesus Christ who was dying on the cross. He looked down at those soldiers and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's how you can treat them. You can say, if they don't hear you after the whole church has spoken to them, if they still don't hear you, you can say, well, you know, They're that way because they're a part of the fallen world. They're just like all other human beings. And they don't get the love of Christ yet. And so, God, just be merciful to them. God, would you pour your blessing on them? Would you show them what love is like, even through me, Lord? Would you give them some way in which they will learn To know the power of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Some of you are going to have to think about that for a while. I maintain that it is that way because of what Peter said in the next verse. You know, Peter was just shocked at this. I like Peter. He's such a logical thinker. I like logical thinkers. And Peter's going like, huh? That ain't going to work. That doesn't work. I mean, you, 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 surely there's got to be a limit to that. There's got to be somewhere where there's a stopping point. I mean, you couldn't do this in every circumstance, could you? I mean, like, it, 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 if a brother sinned against you seven times in a row in a day, uh, you can't let that go, can you? There's got to be a natural limit to this thing, right? Don't you love that? It's incredulous. There's got to be a there's got to be a limit. You can't mean always. And Jesus responded, and now for the next 14 verses, Jesus drives home the point that yes, I actually mean always. You're aware of the fact that seven means is a com- number of completion, right? In the in the scripture. It's, it, when Peter was saying, 
uh, seven times. If my brother sinned against me seven times, he wasn't actually going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That seven sort of meant like always and always, you know, just always. You can't, there's got to be an end, okay? And Jesus in his answer was in effect saying, no, I don't mean always. What I really mean is always and always and always and always and always. Always. Times always. Times ten more always. 490 times a day, if you will. (laughs) Somebody calculated how many times you could be offended in a day. That's pretty often. I mean, if you've got 490 times, how many minutes is that for each offense? It's funny. So now I'd like to bring you to this parable. Oh my, the time is getting away. The hurry this. Uh, I'd like to bring you to this parable of the two debtors. If you will now, please look at verse 22. And we're going to read this and uh, make some comments. In answer to Peter's incredulous response that you can't possibly mean this, it wouldn't work. In answer to this, Jesus says, Therefore, is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. For as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded that him to be sold, and his wife, and his children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me. I'll pay thee all. The Lord of that servant was moved with compassion. That means love. And he loosed him. And he forgave him his debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And I don't suppose that that was immediately afterward, but probably sometime after that. He went out and he laid hold on him and he took him by the throat and he said, pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and did exactly the same thing that he had done earlier. He said, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. Give a little time. I'll I'll pay it. I'll pay it. And he would not. Went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. That was his just opportunity. That was just justice. That's all. So when his fellow servants saw that was done, they were very sorry and they came and told their Lord all that was done. When his Lord, after he had called him to him, said, Oh, thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt. 10,000 talents of it. Just because you desired me. Shouldest thou not also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. And that would be forever, I think. 
So likewise, let's get this last verse. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do so also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. That's a bone-chilling statement there. But I'd like to just go into this here a little bit further and think about this a little bit. This first man who owed 10,000 talents, I think that sort of escapes us in our understanding. 10,000 talents is a pretty big amount. Now, in those days and in that economy, people worked for a denarius a day. One denarius a day. Okay? At that rate, at a day's wage being a denarius a day, it would take 20 years labor to make one talent. That means that this man owed a debt of about 200,000 years of labor. That took in. In today's money, that would be like $7 billion. Just how likely is it for you to earn $7 billion? Anybody here take her for that? Ain't going to happen. Not if you had a million years, right? Ain't going to happen. Let's understand this parable a little further. This man owed a tremendous amount. When his Lord said, pay up. He said, Lord, I... I'm doing the best I can. Have patience with me. I'll keep on trying. I'll try till I die. I'm doing the best I can. And his Lord said, I like you. I love you. Know what? Just forget it. Your your debt's paid. I'll take care of that. Zero. You're done. How do you think that felt? Seven billion dollars evaporated. Whoa. I mean, this is a pretty nice guy, isn't it? This is really a nice lord. Uh, let me remind you, the beginning of this, it says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Okay? And it is. You know what? That's the way our Lord is. If you were to count up all of your trespasses and all of the sins that you did and all the wickedness that you have lived in your heart and all the evil deeds, you know what your, your debt would be? About seven billion dollars. Something you could never put right. Not in a million years. You are hopeless. You're a hopeless basket case. And then you come to Jesus and say, God, I'm trying. And God says, that's the kind of person I want. I want someone who tries. Guess what? 
you're forgiven. I'll pay the price for all of that. I'll take it. And just in case you thought that that was so very easy, it wasn't. It wasn't. Think back to Gethsemane. And Jesus was in the garden facing the prospect of taking this enormous debt upon himself. And he was thinking about what it's going to be like to suffer for all the sins. Oh, Christians. All the sins of the world. Everybody. And pay the price. Of our sin. There's got to be another way. Oh God. There must be another way. Oh Heavenly Father. With whom all things are possible. All... There has got to be another way. This is just too big. I can't do it. I can't do it, Father. But if you say so, I will do it. That is an example of loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus modeled it. And I'll do it, no matter what. I'll do it, if it's your will. And it remained the Father's will. And then he loved us as much as he loved himself. He loved his neighbor, us neighbors, as much as he loved himself. And he took our sins upon himself. And by his stripes, we are healed. Oh. Oh, if you could imagine the agony and pain and suffering that went into that horrendous ordeal and realize what it cost Jesus to love you more than himself or as much as himself. You would not think it lightly. He paid off a monstrously big debt. He paid off yeah Seven billion dollars, if you please. All right. And now we go out. And we are free. That's been paid. I can live again. I've got relationship with God the Father and Jesus Christ, His Son. The sun shines. It's wonderful. 
I've been forgiven. Hallelujah. And then my brother does something to me. Or my brother fails me or does something he shouldn't do. And I hold him to justice. And I said, no, no, you can't do that. No. No, you can't do that. We're not allowing that. And we choke our brother. What if Jesus really meant what he said when he said, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. What if he actually meant that? What if he actually meant that when you get to glory, no glory, excuse me, when you get to the judgment, when you get to the judgment at the end of your life, after having been forgiven and free and you're walking in Christ and you're doing the life that uh, is wonderful and now along comes a brother and you just can't put up with him. You just can't forgive him. You just can't. No, no, no. No, no, it's just too much. And you don't forgive him. What if after all of that and you come in before the presence of your Lord, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and the books are open and and the Lord says, Why didn't you forgive Brother Joe? After all that I have forgiven you, your seven million dollar debt that I gave you free and gave you all of your inheritance and you couldn't forgive Brother Joe? You couldn't. You thought. I'll tell you what. Tell you what we're going to do. We're going to give you the measure that you needed. The way you require righteousness of your brother. That's the way we're going to require righteousness of you. All the things that. You have failed in or back on the table. We're going to judge you according to the way you have judged your brother. Depart from me to everlasting punishment. What if Jesus actually meant that? That's bone chilling, isn't it? That's bone chilling. That could get us all in trouble. I praise God I have an advocate with Jesus Christ. I don't meet that standard. But I try. I try. I'm never going to be able to get it perfect, I don't think, but I try. This morning, do you try? Do you try in this area? Do you try with all your heart? 
to learn how to forgive even those who are wrong. Even those who are wrong after you've talked to them, after the church has talked to them, and they're still obstinate, you got to still forgive them? You got that opportunity. I say, I, I don't want you to think that I'm perfect in this. I, I'm not. I am so challenged by what Jesus said. I am so challenged by this kingdom of heaven. But it's the most important thing that earth has ever seen. Bar none. It's quite natural for all of us, all of us, to hold others to a higher standard of righteousness and morality than we hold ourselves. It's true. It's just entirely natural and normal to do that. But it's not right. But it's not right. And it's not okay. This is what the kingdom of heaven is different in. And God comes to us with his Holy Spirit and enables us to do what we otherwise could never do. God holds us to a standard that you can't meet in a million years. And he gives you the opportunity And grace to learn it. And even when you fail, you can keep on learning. And you can try again. And you can move forward. And it can change your life. So long as you earnestly, honestly want to do his father's will. And so long as you actually believe. That the kingdom of God must bear on your life today. I'm challenged by that. Hope you have been too.